Are you a business owner or entrepreneur who's had great success in the business world? And now you want to launch a speaking career to share your message with the world. If that's you, then listen up. 25-year speaking industry veteran Brett Ridgway has released his latest special report, Three Key Things Entrepreneurs Must Master to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. To pick up your copy, go to brettridgeway.com forward slash freebie. Welcome to the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway, where you'll learn the keys to building a profitable speaking business from speaking industry pros. Each week, we interview a great guest who will share his or her speaking journey, identify what their keys to success have been, and highlight some critical mistakes they've made along the way that you'll want to avoid. Be sure to visit our website at spotlightonspeaking.com. And while you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet this week's guest. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Spotlight on Speaking show with Brett Ridgway. I am the aforementioned Brett Ridgway, and I'm super excited about my guest today because this lady is one of the people I consider one of the true rock stars in the speaking industry. But Elizabeth McCormick is my guest today, and this is she asked me when I should say about her or whatever, and I, I pulled something from her website, and it really describes Elizabeth to a T, and so I wanted to read this to you today, so... So much more than your keynote speaker, Elizabeth McCormick's goal is to be a part of your audience's experience. Elizabeth shattered the glass ceiling in the military as an Army Black Hawk pilot, then in her corporate career as a global contract negotiator. And now she continues to rain glass as an in-demand international motivational speaker and CEO of Soar to Success International. As a decorated U.S. Army Black Hawk, Hawk helicopter pilot, Elizabeth Flew missions such as air assault, repelling, command and control, VIP, and military intelligence. She supported the United Nations peacekeeping operations in Kosovo, receiving the Meritorious Service Medal for her excellence in service, and in 2011 was awarded the Congressional Veteran Commendation. Elizabeth is a founding member of the John Maxwell team of speakers, coaches, and trainers, and a dynamic, energizing entertainer. She inspires audiences with her experiences from her years as a pilot and turn those into stories into actionable lessons. Without further ado, Elizabeth McCormick, welcome to the Spotlight on Speaking show. Hi, Brett. Thanks for having me. So you mentioned when we were talking before the show, Elizabeth, that you do 100 to 110 speaking engagements a year, which sounds like a crap load to me. So... <laughs> I will say I did a, I did 158 in 2013, and I came home from being on the road almost an entirely entire month straight. So from like Labor Day to October 6th, I came home October 6th and my husband goes too much. Too much. <laughs> I'd only been home three days. So um, that one that that was kind of when we realized there were some limits as to what you could do. But I, I like to be on the road. I like the challenge of having different audiences, you know, two to three times a week during peak times like Patriot Day, September 11th, Veterans Day, November 11th, and Women's History Month, it can be a little bit more than that. And then there's other times that are slow, like July, <laughs> you know. So I, I like the challenge, the pace, and, and to me, it's a puzzle. How can my content best fit their objectives, whatever their objectives may be? 
So how many frequent flyer miles have you racked up in the last few years, Elizabeth? A lot. <laughs> a lot. Well, not so many in 2020, the latter half of 2020, sure. beginning of 2021. So those ones were a little, little odd, but uh, pulling those aside, it's a lot. Let's put it this way. Um, I'm, I live in Dallas, so American Airlines is my hub, and um, they changed their frequent flyer mileage accrual plan and everything. So it starts March 1st. So it now runs from March 1st to the last day of February, whatever that might be. So um, I've already achieved the first level <laughs> and we just came out of March, right? So basically in one month, I achieved the first level of, of uh, points and, and mileage. So sounds like it feels good to you to be back on the road though. I, it is, it is, I missed it. Um, not just my husband missed the revenue piece of the business, right? <laughs> but um, it was a little different doing virtual, just the virtual is great when there's no other options or they're trying to reach like an international audience all at one time. Um, but it is not the same. It is not the same as being in that room and having the energy of people and seeing the lights in their eyes and, and just having that kind of connection that you get with, with, with an onsite in-person performance. All right, so Elizabeth, how do you go from Black Hawk pilot to corporate negotiator or what do you call it? Yeah, contract negotiator to international speaker. Tell me a little bit more about that speaking journey. Yeah, so when I got out of the military, I, I will tell you, I was broken. Like I was emotionally and physically broken. I was injured, um, lost my flight career, depressed, um, single parent. Um, a lot of, a lot of things weren't going, didn't feel like they were going my way. I'm sure a lot of the listeners can relate to that. Right. So you just feel like things aren't going your way. And, um, you know, I just, it took me a couple years to really get out of what I call now autopilot. Like I was just literally punching a clock, showing up to work, doing my job, go, spending time with my daughter that evening and repeating it the next day. And it wasn't until I started getting out of that kind of autopilot mode and healing and realize being more comfortable with who I was not as a military person. Like that's the big thing, especially for military, but it also can be with our jobs is so much of our identity is, is tied to that, that when we don't have that, we don't know who we are. And that's what I really felt like I was going through at that time. Um, so I did corporate and while I, while I was doing corporate and I was kind of being awakened um, during that time, I call it. And, and I, the community I live in found out I was a helicopter pilot and started asking me to speak. Like to me, I didn't brag about it. It wasn't a big deal because when I was in the service, all my friends were helicopter pilots, mm -hmm. right? So when everyone around you is doing the same job as you, you are not special. So <laughs> I just didn't think it was a big deal. And so I found out as my community found out and they kept asking me to speak for schools and youth groups and women's groups and different things, I found out it was a big deal. And I was able to start pulling more stories mm -hmm. from my only regret is I wish I had journaled better during those years because yeah. I, I had to draw purely on memory. Um, so after I, I was doing a bunch of speaking engagements and I was turning a lot of them down because at the time out of the military, I worked in corporate and, um, and was doing international contract negotiation and vendor management and things like that. Mm -hmm. And they, um, which really helps me now too, of course. And so while I was doing all that, um, you know, I was turning a lot of them down because I was traveling for that job. 
And um, one day I'm on the phone with one, never forget it. And they're like, I'm turning them down because I'm, you know, booked. And they're like, well, we'll pay you. And I'm like, shut the door. I could have been getting paid this whole time. Like I had no idea that this was a whole industry and that you could get paid and, you know, booked in this way or any anything. I mean, I knew about like the big ones, John Maxwell, Zig Ziglar, Tony Robbins and them, but I, it never occurred to me that there was something in between <laughs> speaking for free and this big, big, you know, market well-known speakers. And so I was like, well, how much will you pay me? And they said, we'll pay you $500 to speak for a 40 minute lunch. Right, sign, sign me up, huh? <laughs> that's, that's better than what I make in my corporate job. So I took a, took a vacation day and um, I took a vacation day and I did that one. And from that one, I started getting more calls and more people asking me. And so I started doing a little bit more here and there and taking some, but using some of my vacation time to do that. Mm-hmm. And then um, it was three months later, it was January of 2009. Now, what was the economy like January, 2009? <laughs> right? Yeah, it was pretty crappy. And I'm in a division level meeting with a CEO of my company that I'm working for our entire, our entire division is here in this meeting, 250 people. He comes up, he puts a slide up on the screen. He says the state of the economy, of course, the state of the economy was right down, um, had this big bar graph and he's like, and then he pulls up the next slide. The next slide had four words on it, just four words. You're all laid off. Laid off 250 people with a two page PowerPoint and everyone is screaming and crying. I mean, we had no idea we were running full production the day before and uh, everybody's screaming and crying and I'm sitting there going, I think I know what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. So it really came to me organically. And I believe we have little little knocks on the door that tell us we should be doing something that a lot of times we don't listen to. Yeah. Uh, You know, my my keeper husband, I call him. Um, he had been telling me for a while, you know, you need to do this. You're really good. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're my husband. You're supposed to say that. <laughs> and I didn't really pay attention attention to him as much as I should have. So how long was the overlap, Elizabeth, between being in the corporate world and doing some speaking on the side till going full-fledged as a speaker? Yeah, I would say I overlapped a good three years. Mm-hmm. So a good three years of a little bit here and a little bit there and working on my content. And, and even when I got laid off, because I was a contract negotiator, they came to me and they said, Elizabeth, everybody else is leaving today other than who we need to finish production and certain things. And they're like, we need you to stay till the end until we close the plant and negotiate us out of multi-million dollar contracts. So I was very fortunate because I got six more months of salary I at the severance package I would have gotten if I had left that day. And then I got a giant bonus to stay at the end and help us get out of these contracts, which was not an easy job. And they didn't want me to travel because they didn't want to pay for it. Right. So they didn't want me to travel. So they asked me to use this new website called Skype, which was new back then with all my international vendors. So I um, I was able to be home every night, which I hadn't been in a long time. I was able, I knew what my end date was, so I could say yes to speaking engagements after that. And I was really very fortunate to get laid off. <laughs> so you don't always see it in the at the time, but it really yeah. was a blessing. 
So I like to say, Elizabeth, that there are three primary types of speakers. One's a keynote speaker, one's a platform seller, and the other is the business builder speaker who just does it to make people aware of their chiropractic services or whatever it may be. I know you've probably played in all three arenas, but which arena do you like the best and why? So I have played with all three. Um, you know, I did the, the marketing speaking, I call it, when I first started to kind of get, and mainly to get the word out about me, right? Um, but I also interviewed a booking agency and they suggested that before I be ready for, you know, big time, uh, the big shows, is that I do get at least 100 speaking engagements under my belt. So I did 100 speaking engagements purely for, practice, tuition, getting good. And I did a lot of rotary clubs. <laughs> so breakfast, lunch, happy hour. Uh -huh. um, in fact, over an 18 month period, I did 163 rotary clubs for free. And it was, yeah, it was a lot, a lot of chicken, chicken dinners and cold eggs. <laughs> so I, I did it purely just for tuition to get good, but it was also to market kind of me. I wasn't really selling anything. Um, I'd had them fill out a little survey slip to see what did they like about, you know, so I got built up some testimonials, but the amazing thing that happened is you can, I mean, that was, geez, that was in 2011. So it's been over 10 years, but you could walk into any rotary club in Dallas and ask a whole bunch of members, like what good speakers they've seen. And at some point, somebody's going to bring me up. Mm -hmm. And I still get referrals and recommendations from that. But what was amazing is I hit about 40 speeches. It really started to gel and feel good. And I hit 60 and I started getting referrals to other events that were paid. So there was a lot, there's a lot to that kind of repetition in a mm -hmm. short amount of time that really made it good. And I, I highly recommend to anyone starting off that they, you, you know, you get some reps under your belt, right? And get some muscle memory in it. And the one thing I did was I always audio recorded my presentation. Of course, it with rotaries, it's only like 20, 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. So I would have my phone on voice memo out in the middle of the audience, not up on stage. I knew what I was going to say, but I would have it out in the audience so I could tell what they laughed at. When did they go? Oh, you know, when, yeah. when, what were their reactions? And I would listen to that on the way home every single time, you know, painful to listen to ourselves, painful to watch ourselves on video. When I started getting video back, I watch myself on video. What do I like? What do I don't like? Like that, having that level of an, an analysis and awareness of how you're showing up on stage is, is how you get better. So which of those worlds do you prefer to play in, Elizabeth? <laughs> well, now I play in primarily the keynote. So I did some speak to sell, um, got burned a few times uh, in that in, in that world, uh, and mainly because my main topic is leadership. And that's a little bit too much of a soft skill to really warrant the run to the back of the room and buy the package. Right. Right. So I think there's certain um, certain skills, certain um, certain products and certain things that do very well in that in that space. I just learned the hard way that it wasn't mine. So and I found corporate and corporate industry and associate I call it association organization and associations um, pay very well for me to come in and do what I and I like getting that check and I still do a little back of the room, but I'm now I'm seeding them to refer me to other organizations. So 
have you spoken on topics outside of the motivational arena? Yeah, I actually, during the pandemic, I came out with a new, a new topic. Um, I've been certified with disc assessments for a long time, and I actually took that, drilled it down deep, and um, made it into a two different types of presentations. One is, it's a, basically the same presentation, but targeted for different audiences. One is for leaders, and that's how, um, inspiring, and how do you hire and inspire teams? So how can they hire better and make better choices in their hiring as well as um, as well as hiring right the right fit for the right roles. So I've done that for some some executive and high level leadership groups and that's gone over pretty well some HR as well. Um, and then I've also taken that same presentation and geared it around associations and volunteers, how can you, how can you inspire um, volunteers to volunteer and to show up and to meet their commitments and everything. So it's all all based on the motivations behind their primary communication style with uh, with DISC. But it's a little a little longer, a little more technical, a little bit more workshop. Um, but it's a great follow up once they've seen me once. A lot of times they wouldn't bring me back because that's the thing with a keynoter. Um, you've got to have something else so that they bring you back another time. Otherwise, you're a one and done. So since the keynoting world is your primary bailiwick, what advice would you have to aspiring speakers to best succeed in the keynote world? Oh, wow. Um, a lot. <laughs> it's kind of, it's not one, I, you know, I, I talk about this. It's not one thing. It's everything. So the first thing is content getting really deep into your content, what you're known for, what you want to be known for. Like I started off as an empowerment speaker um, for women. And the first big women's conference I did, five husbands called me the next two days. So because their wives had gone home, told them all about my speech. And they're like, we want that at our company. And I realized I was an empowerment speaker, not a women's empowerment speaker. And so really listening to as you as you you set on something, work that for a while, but also listen to what your audiences are asking for and what they're saying and what and what they're doing after when you do get in. Um, you might have to kiss a lot of frogs before you find the prince, right? So it's just going to take a while for something to really kind of stick in gel. I started um, in 2009, right? I got laid off in 2009. It really didn't hit a tipping point where the branding and the messaging and everything I was doing really worked until 2000, about 2012. And that's why 2013 was such a huge year. So it took a couple years of throwing spaghetti on the wall to see what fit, you know, um, and figuring out what, what would best work. So don't be afraid to try new things, but I call it the ripple effect. So if you, what you first try, your first content, your first, you know, niche or what you want to be known for is like the center, the stone that goes into the pond and creates the first ripple. Mm -hmm. Right. And then when you have that kind of dialed in and you can see, okay, what are, what are people asking for? What else do they want? You can kind of expand your marketing to other ripples and as a ripple effect. So for example, like if you said, I'm going to focus on the financial services industry, right? That's the industry I want to speak to or banking or something like that. Then the first, you know, that first circle, the bullseye is that industry, but then you can take it from that. Well, what are other industries similar to financial services? Well, maybe insurance, mortgage, mm -hmm. 
you can then expand into other similar industries and become them. But the biggest thing with this is you've got to start with one. You got to pick one, either one topic or one industry, something that to be known for. Um, I, over time, it went from empowerment to leadership to self leadership. How do you lead yourself better? And then it's really good. Get, get, I've geared it really back into motivation where it's just like how, and in fact, my next book that I'm writing right now is all about how do you find motivation in difficult times? There's no any of those right now. <laughs> all right. Such great advice, Elizabeth. I do have a few other questions I want to ask you, but before we do, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Are you a business owner or entrepreneur who's had great success in the business world? And now you want to launch a speaking career to share your message with the world. If that's you, then listen up. 25-year speaking industry veteran Brett Ridgway has released his latest special report, Three Key Things Entrepreneurs Must Master to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. To pick up your copy, go to brettridgeway.com forward slash freebie. And we are back with the Spotlight on Speaking Show. My guest this week is Elizabeth McCormick. So obviously one of the main questions any aspiring speaker has is, how do I get more gigs? So what have your secrets been to getting more speaking engagements? I've gotten really good at SEO. Like really, and I, and I'm, that comes right back to content, right? What do you want to be known for? Like writing really good, relevant articles, um, doing a little search on SEO. Um, so I think that's the first the first thing when you're first starting off is write, 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 and write some more and get good on that content. Get it whether it's you know you publish a book on that content or it's just blog posts to start off with you know that don't cost as much right to do. Start with something. Um, get known for that topic. Um, don't be afraid to do out some outbound you know touch points and and reach out. Um, get involved with other speakers, like a, um, a couple, there's lots of great organizations out there. I'm involved with National Speakers Association. So, you know, get involved. Then after that, <laughs> so after that, you, you know, you've got your SEO, your SEO going. And it really is, it's kind of all, like I said earlier, it's not one thing, it's everything. At the same time, you need to be working on the speech and polishing the speech and being really good at the speech. Um, a really great book is The Referrable Speaker um, by um, uh, Michael Port and Andrew Davies, I think, Dave, Davis, Andrew Davis. Okay. So um, it's a really good because if you're not if you're doing a speech and you're not getting referrals to other speeches, if people aren't coming up to you, you don't want them to just come up to you and saying, oh, that was great. Because they're not going to come up to you and say that was bad. Right. But <laughs> you want them to come up and say, I know another event that would really like you and if that's not happening then you're missing something in the speech so what have you done specifically to systematize the referral process in your business so for me i i built and i did this back in the rotary days i wanted to get more and get referrals and make it easy for them to refer you so how do you make it easy for your audience members members to refer refer you and for me i i built out a brochure and actually teach the audience how to refer me. So it has beautiful photography and it has um, all the kinds of events I speak at. 
So Elizabeth, Elizabeth also speaks for, because what happens is you speak in an event and they assume that's the only kind of event you speak for. Mm -hmm. If I speak for a corporation, they assume I only speak for corporations. I want them to know they could refer me to their college. They could refer me to their alumni association. They could refer me to their, um, their professionals. Every industry has a professional association. Every job has a professional association. So I wanted them to refer me and think outside of that, um, the, t the norm. Same thing if I spoke in an association, I wanted them to know they could bring me back into their organizations. So you wanna make sure you're teaching them how to refer you. And I do that through, uh, a couple seating things I do in my presentation. So again, that, that harkens back to that speak to sell, right? So there's a couple places I seed in the presentation about, you know, um, I talk at one point about creating habits and brushing your teeth. And I was like, when I speak to colleges, I just say, please, I hope you're brushing your teeth at all. You know, so do it with humor and just a little, just a couple times throughout. And then, um, and then I make sure everybody leaves with the brochure. And so at the beginning, what I did is I made the brochure a handout and I had a one, two, three, and I made sure I taught three points that they can, okay, grab that brochure under your napkin at a meal, out of your napkin and under the one, two, three on the inside. Now, once they've written into it, they're less likely to leave it. Right. So you have something for them to take home. It says, oh, Elizabeth also speaks for, she's also could be an opening speaker, keynote speaker, banquet speaker. Um, closing speaker and I put some of the roles that they could utilize me for. So now when they talk about me and hand that to someone else, um, I got a lot, I get a lot more referrals. But the other great thing is to keep track of that is I use a different email address and con and the contact information is different on that. So I would say that Elizabeth has one of the best looking websites and best speaker packets of any speaker I've ever seen out there. <laughs> And you should study Elizabeth as a model for that for your own speaking business. And just so we make sure people are aware, what domain do they go to to see that speaker packet, Elizabeth? Yeah, so the easy one is pilotspeaker.com. And I will tell you what you see now. Uh, in June, we're launching a whole new website and new packet and everything that's even better. So it's a constant every three to four years, a constant up level of your branding and materials. So. Well, I will say by the time this episode airs, that new packet will probably be up there. So you'll be seeing the latest and the greatest. So. <laughs> Based on when you're watching this, watch out. So same domain, <laughs> pilotspeaker.com. And um, that's actually an easy forward to my to the website itself. So. All right. So do you have any specific advice for people, Elizabeth, on how to deal with speaker bureaus? Oh, so speaker bureaus are tough. So speaker bureaus don't want you until they lose business to you. So I would say when you're first starting off, I would I wouldn't even like spend I'd spend time on your own stuff, like worry about your own your own playground, right? And not spend spend a lot of time worrying about bureaus and getting into bureaus. Um, they get solicited all the time. Um, and most of the time, the only ones they're really going to listen to, there's only two ways to really get into a bureau. The first one is the best way. And the first one is the client asks for you. I just got into a real one of the one of the top three bureaus I just got into because my the client asked for me by name. That's how you really get in. OK, and then when a bureau asks for information, for the love of God, please respond quickly. 
<laughs> you, you know, park it until you can redo your materials or send something like, no, just respond quickly. They want to know that you're responsive when they do, if they do have a request for you. So the second way you can get into bureaus is when another speaker recommends you. So for example, I had a request for, so for example, I had a request for an event and I was, I was already booked. So I said, you know, I'm already booked, but if you're not already repping this person or this person, you might want to take a look at them. They're also doing events in my fee range and, and then there, which again comes back to, are you networking and spending time with other speakers and sure. getting to know other speakers? So we both know how important it is for the success of a presentation to truly address the pain points of the audience. So how do you specifically go about determining what those pain points are before you go into a corporation or an association? Well, first of all, you have you have three bosses, I call them, right? When you go into an event, you have three bosses that you must satisfy. It's not just the person who hired you, right? That's the you typically a meeting planner in corporation. It might be an admin or an, a director. You you need to um, satisfy that person, right? The person who hired you. You need to satisfy their boss or their boss's boss, right? The CEO and executive. And you need to satisfy the audience. Mm -hmm. And the fact is those three things might not be the same. So, right? <laughs> Brett, so who wins the pecking order? <laughs> uh, well, well, um, you know, here's the thing. If the, if the boss isn't happy, but his, all of his people are happy, the boss is pretty happy, right? So if, if the audience is happy and the meeting planner is like, well, you didn't hit this, this, or this, but the feedback from the audience is great, right? But if you alienate your audience, even if the, even if the meeting planner and the boss are happy, but the entire yeah. audience, however many there might be, is unhappy, you're not gonna live long. <laughs> so you really got to meet all three though and find a way to meet all three. So like an audience, what does an audience want now, right? An audience wants, they don't want to be bored. Obviously they don't want death by PowerPoint. They want to be engaged. They want interaction. I call it, and we, you even read it a little bit from my bio. I call it making an experience. How can you make the event an experience for the audience attendees? And that doesn't come from the first the first iteration, right? It comes from time and experience and trying new things and seeing what works. So um, creating that experience for them um, is one of the big things that I do. And then the meeting planner, you know, they typically have the thing, the feedback the boss gave them, right? We want to make sure that they leave this and they get this and they feel they're going to be better engaged and we're going to make they're going to be more productive and we can make more money. Right? So you got to make sure that you include some some learning points from that and then, of course, the boss. So what I do to make sure that those are met is is do a pre event survey that I ask the meeting planner to do. And then after the survey is fit, is filled out, and that's things like what what do you call your like language? Making sure I'm using their company's language in my speech. It's as simple as do you call them customers? Are they prospects? Are they clients? Are they um, consumers? Like what do you call your your end customer? What do you call your coworkers? What do you call your internal customers? What do you call your boss? You know what using all of their language in every speech keeps me on my toes, and then. Um, and then after they fill out the, the written survey, I then send them to 
I, um, I send them to uh, a phone call and we schedule a phone call with the CEO, with the executive. So the meeting planner is there too, but also the executive. And I want to hear from him or her, what are your goals for this meeting? Not the, not just my part, but the whole meeting. Because mm -hmm. if I can help tap into that, what are, how, what is this, if, what does a success look like? What do things happen afterwards? Like, and really ask those kind of insightful, you know, questions they can't answer with yes or no, right? So I want to get some insights into that. And that's, I'm taking really copious notes on that, if not recording that, that conversation. So you speak about success, Elizabeth. How do you measure the success of a speech? You know, there's a couple different ways. Um, in that book I referred to earlier, Referable Speaker, it was it, they base a success based on how many recommendations, referrals to other present other presentations you get. Right? Um, they said you should be getting like five, like somewhere between three and seven or five, or five average um, to know that a speech is really working. Um, for me, it's about the client. I'm very very client centric. So was the audience happy? Was were the um that was a ceo happy and was a meeting planner happy like because it's not about me mm -hmm. you know as much as my it's my speech is my story it's not about me it's about them and the more as we write a speech as we look at it, is how can it be relevant and relate to the audience and what they need and their objectives and outcomes you know the better our speech is and more successful it is so as we wind down to our time together here elizabeth Share a couple mistakes maybe you've made along the way that you would highly encourage aspiring speakers not to make. Um, first of all, don't get in your own way. <laughs> uh, I think that was the biggest reason I had a gap between that 2009 layoff and to, uh, 2011 when, and 2012 when things really started working was that I would like I would wake up in the morning after I got laid off. I had right empty calendar. I knew I needed to do stuff, but I would be busy doing stuff and not doing the things that were going to be most impactful. Mm -hmm. So specifically website, I didn't, I dragged my feet and hemmed and hawed and didn't really do what I knew I needed to do to get that website live, which I knew would then help me get found, which will help me get booked. Right. So, um, don't get in your own way. And, I learned something from a friend of mine that's a coach a long time ago. Um, it, it was during that time that actually shifted me. And she said to stop when we get in our own way, it's because we're thinking of ourselves and not others. So if you know that your message of what you have is going to help people and you withhold that from them, are you hurting people? Yep. Yeah. The answer is yes. Right. And so for me, I, didn't realize that by not putting myself out there, by not sharing messages, by not being on podcasts now that you can do to help get the word out too, by not doing that, I was actually, I was not helping people. I was keeping myself from that. And so that kind of shifted my perspective and getting in my own way. Right. So mm -hmm. um, now I'd like to say I, I hit the, I hit the ground my feet hit the floor and the world trembles because I'm going to make it, I'm going to do everything I can to make a difference to people. So, and then I, I've screwed up with negotiations. I left $9,000 on the table in a negotiation. That was, that was a big learning curve. So from not doing my research on what an industry, what an industry could pay. 
What? Do so, your homework ahead of time? What a novel idea. Oh my gosh. Well, they called me. So it was weird. It was something from somebody from church. She was like, you speak now, right? And I was like, yes. Right. Yes. And she said, great. We have a, we have a lunch coming up. We're looking for a speaker. And at that point I'd been getting paid, you know, that $500,000. So um, when the, her boss called me, I did the, did the typical, you know, not a bad thing. Cause sometimes you can answer like, well, what is your budget? And he's like, no, 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 no. What's your fee? And I'm like, well, you know, how much did you pay your speaker last year? Like, he's like, no, 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 no. What is your fee? And I'm like, um, you know, and I didn't have a solid answer. So number one, do your homework, know what their industry does typically pay. Number two, have an answer and whatever number you're thinking of, double it because that gives you room to negotiate. Right. I didn't do that. Well, I kind of doubled it. I'd been paid 500. So I said a thousand. Right. And then he was like, great. Oh, I knew I was in trouble right then. Right. With the (laughs) answer really fast. Yes. That means you left money on the table. Yeah. So I, I thought I was, I was happy with that. Thousand was good. Right. So we go through the pre-event process that I'd already started doing at the early days and did the pre-call and the pre-information and everything. And then um, he's like, oh, we're gonna, we're take, sending everybody that, that meets this big level. We're gonna send everybody to Puerto Rico for an all expense paid trip. And I'm thinking money left on the table, right? And so I, you know, we went through and, and I just, you know, kept asking questions and I was like, yeah, I can incorporate that. Yeah, I can incorporate that. Yeah, I can do that. And he finally, he stops and he goes, you are so much easier to work with than the guy we paid $10,000 last year. <laughs> Well, as they say, lesson learned, right? <laughs> so they paid a professional football, a retired professional football player, ten thousand yeah, dollars. Yeah, the year before. So, all right. Know. Well, this has been such a great chat, Elizabeth. If you would, I'd like to give you a couple of minutes to tell people how they can get involved in your world if they would like to. Yeah. So, um, you know, right now, just follow me on Twitter or on uh, Facebook, Instagram. I'm Pilot Speaker on everything. So just go to Pilot Speaker and follow me. And then in the show notes with this with this podcast, you're going to also see a link. And with that link, it's going to go to um, another online training I did for, on how to get booked and paid as a keynote speaker. Awesome. All right. Well, I want to thank you so much, Elizabeth, for joining me today. As always, I wish everybody out there the greatest of success in all that you do. In addition to the three key things report mentioned in the commercial break during this particular show, my new book, How to Build a Profitable Speaking Business, is now available. I would certainly encourage you to grab that at brettridgeway.com forward slash books. And I will even send you an author signed copy if you do that. But I want to, again, thank you for joining me today. And as always, I wish you the greatest success in everything that you do. And may this be your greatest year yet. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. This has been the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway. Be sure to join us every week as we interview speaking industry pros and have them share their best tips for building a profitable speaking business. Until next week, thank you for tuning in. And remember to visit our website at spotlightonspeaking.com so you can enjoy even more great episodes like this one. While you're here, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Spotlight on Speaking Show. Until then, our sincere best wishes to you for the greatest of success as you work to build your own profitable speaking business.